0: In the gym, sometimes you hit what's called a plateau plateau in the gym is when you get to a certain weight on a given exercise. And for one reason or another, you can't seem to move past it All your progress just sort of stops. Most people hit a plateau at some point in the gym. It just seems to be one of those things that happens. But when you hit a plateau, you've got to find a way to break it. And one of the reasons you have to break it is that not being able to move forward when you're trying to is pretty discouraging. In fact, some people get so discouraged when they hit a plateau and can't overcome it, they end up quitting the gym altogether. Another reason that you have to find a way to break the plateau is that once you plateau, you don't really stay level. You tend to go down. Uh, You get weaker. You lose size. You just can't seem to stay at one place forever. And breaking the plateau is essential for growing bigger and getting stronger. And something similar can happen to us in our spiritual lives We hit spiritual plateaus For one reason or another We stop being able to make progress in our spiritual lives We, we get to where our, our study of scripture Doesn't seem to speak to us like it did Our prayers don't seem quite as quite Like they're drawing as close to God as they used to be It just seems like we're, we're stuck Where we are And not able to, to make any forward progress In our spiritual change And when this happens we have to find a, re- a way to break our spiritual plateau for basically the same reasons. Right, Being stuck in a spiritual plateau is discouraging. Right? In times where you're trying to move forward in your relationship with Christ and you just can't seem to do it, it kind of sucks your will to live and your desire to go at it. It also seems that the longer we stay at a particular level, the more we end up actually going backward. You know, we have we have spiritual enemies, the world, the flesh and the devil that want to draw us away from Christ and keep us from doing the will of Christ. And so it it really seems in our spiritual lives, if we're not moving forward, we're actually drifting backward. I've often heard it explained that growing in our relationship with Christ is like walking upstream or walking up a, a down escalator. You can't just stay still. Once you stop, you start going backward pretty quick. And there's. Probably all kinds of reasons that we hit spiritual plateaus. But I think there are two in particular that, that are common that cause this. The first is an unwillingness to change. Right? Change or growth requires change. That is a, a rule without exception. We cannot follow Jesus and do His will and become like Jesus and stay the same. Something has to give. If I want to make progress, I have to change. I think the second reason that we plateau is that we're not doing what we know we're supposed to do. I'm a big believer that while a thriving spiritual life can be hard work, it is not complicated. There are basic spiritual disciplines that help us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ is not about a secret key that we've not yet found. It is about doing basic things and doing them again. Problems arise when we get away from doing the basic things. And while spiritual plateaus often happen, I don't believe they have to happen. And while spiritual plateaus can be tough to break, I believe they can be broken. Today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that's going to explain to us how to keep from plateauing spiritually and how to break that plateau if we've already hit that point. So open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. I hope it doesn't say 4 in the bulletin, but I'm afraid it may have because it does in my notes. Uh, it's page 901, but that may not be right either, since the chapter's not right. We'll just see what happens today. And when you find that, i must you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Philippians. Philippians, Philippians 3. What did I say? Oh, man. <laughs> you poor people. God bless you all. But it felt like it was really five hours. It wasn't? No. Okay, Philippians 3. Chapter <laughs> wow. Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself as apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore... Let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything, if, you, and if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. title of the message this morning is Pressing On. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word that guides us, for your spirit. That teaches us. We ask you today to send your Holy Spirit to instruct us in your word. God, to help us to to see what needs to be done in our lives to ensure that we do not plateau spiritually. Or, Or God, if we've already gotten there and we are not making progress to see that that's a problem, to be bothered by it, be willing to do what's necessary to move beyond it. Father, help us to be focused upon you to lay aside the cares of life. Let your Holy Spirit speak. Let your word be the authority. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I'd have clarity of thought and clarity of speech. And I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. We love you, Lord, and we want your will to be done in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. I think in a lot of ways, verse 12 of Philippians 3 may be one of the most hopeful verses in the Bible. Because Paul said, not that I've already attained it or that I'm already perfect. Isn't it good to know that the Apostle Paul realized he had not yet arrived? I mean, a lot of times we put the folks in Scripture on a a pedestal as though they were like they had better access to Jesus than we did or they they were just could do things that we can't do. But, you know, the reality is, even Paul, who planted all the churches, wrote all the Scripture, was so faithful to serve Jesus, he recognized he was not all that he was supposed to be. He had not quite arrived. He wasn't as much like Jesus as he should be. But while Paul was not perfect, neither was Paul plateaued. Paul had not stagnated or stalled in his progress and spiritual growth. Rather than staying in the same place, the Apostle Paul had moved forward. He was constantly striving to make progress, constantly fighting against the plateaus and the pull of just standing still and being comfortable. And what we learn from the Apostle Paul is that plateaus are prevented and broken through focus, forgetting and faithfulness. Plateaus are broken and they prevented through focus, forgetting and faithfulness. What I want to do is explain what each of those means. First, we want to focus on what Jesus wants us to be. I want to focus on what Jesus wants me to be. There are all kinds of books and all kinds of ideas about what it is that that we are supposed to be in life. The one that matters, the thing that matters most is being what Jesus wants us to be. Paul knew this. Paul felt the pull of trying to fulfill the expectations of others as well. But notice what he says. Not that I've already attained or imperfected, but I press on. Why? That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. See, when Jesus saved Paul and he grabbed Paul and changed his life, there was something he wanted Paul to do. There was something he wanted Paul to be. And Paul pressed on towards that. His focus wasn't on fulfilling the expectations of people. His focus wasn't on fulfilling the expectations of the world. Paul's focus was on one thing. It was being who Jesus wanted him to be, doing what Jesus wanted him to do. For us, really, it seems that there's a a pull or a decision we're going to have to make. We can either fulfill the expectations of others or we can fulfill the expectations of Christ. But it seems impossible to do both. So if we want to keep from plateauing spiritually, we have to focus on being what Jesus wants us to be. And I think there's a few things that Jesus wants us to be. Jesus, he wants me to be his friend. I think that's a. A great passage, a great idea, a great truth to know. Jesus wants us to be his friend. I mean, when Jesus came, Matthew tells us that he came to be Emmanuel, which is God with us. What Jesus wants to be is not the God who is far off and not the God who is far away. He wants to be the God that is with us. In our lives, to guide us, to help us, to to be a friend in our times of need. That was a a main part of the uh, the focus of why he came. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. Let me just stop there. Think about how committed God is to making you his friend. We were his enemies through our attitudes and our actions. We were rebellious against his rule and his reign in our life. But God was so committed to make us his friend. that He sent Jesus to come and to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled to him. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us the friends of God. Now, I use the New Living Translation there because I like the phrase a wonderful our wonderful new relationship with God. I mean, you Think about that. Do you, do you have a wonderful relationship with God? I mean, when you think about Jesus, what, what are your thoughts? Friend that you love, a friend that is there, or, or something different. Our relationship with Jesus, it should be good. Wonderful, a source of joy and hope and help and peace. In our lives. This is what Jesus wants us to be. He, he wants us to be his friend. And in all of our, our serving and doing things for Jesus, let's not forget our relationship with Jesus. Everything flows out of that. All that we do, we do because we love him. And he loves us. So Jesus wants, to be, wants me to be his friend. But Jesus also wants me to be like him. You know, the longer you're around somebody, the more we kind of pick up habits and attitudes and traits. We see this in our kids a lot, but it's true in adults, too. The more we're around someone, the more we pick up maybe their mannerisms or their catchphrases or things that they do. Uh, and in some cases, that's not always good, is it? But with Jesus, it is always good. The longer we're around Jesus, the more we become like him. That's, that's a part of God's purpose for our lives. For whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Right? God's plans and His work in our lives, in part, is to help us be like Jesus. Kind of in a way you could say all that He does in us, through us, and for us has this goal in mind. And there's there's good in this, and there's challenge in this. The challenge is, God is not nearly as concerned about our comfort and our, our pleasures, our earthly pleasures, and our wealth as we are. God wants us to be like Jesus, and He's, he's committed to doing whatever it takes to make this happen. That, so if that means there has to be difficulties and hardships to make us like Christ, then, well, so be it. But He is determined, He is committed to making us like Jesus. That's a, a good thing. Because we couldn't do it on our own. God is committed to doing what it takes to help us be like Jesus. Jesus wants us to be like Him. And then a third thing that Jesus wants us to be is that Jesus wants me to be something particular. Something in particular. The girls used to have this cartoon video and... An owl is talking to a mouse, and the mouse feels that he's a nobody, but the owl tells him he is not a nobody, he's someone in particular. And then they break out in song. Girls, you guys want to come up here and sing that for us? No, they're not interested in singing that song for us, but you just have to trust me, it's really kind of snazzy. Anyway, uh, the truth of that is we are to be something in particular. That when God saves us, He has a desire for us to do something in particular, right? We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, right? That's saved, right? All that we are is a trophy of grace. It is God who saves us and he has created us in Christ Jesus for a reason. To do the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, God has something in particular, that he wants you to do. Something in particular he wants me to do. And I call this something in particular because there is, there is with God, there is the, the general will of God. Right? God has a general will that he wants for all people. He wants all people to be saved, to be his friend. He wants all people to be sanctified. He wants them all to be like Jesus. And that's true no matter who we are. Every person in the world, God has a desire to save, to sanctify. Make them his friend to help them become like Jesus. But there is also something in particular that God has for each and every one of us to do. And my something in particular is different than your something in particular. My something in particular is to be a a husband to Kelly. Kelly. Daddy, to Caitlin, Sarah, and Lizzie, the pastor of this church, to be a preacher and a teacher of the gospel. That is my something in particular. Your something in particular is something that God has created for you. Something He has wired you to do. Something He has planned for you to do. But it is something that He wants you to do. We are all saved to serve. We are all saved to do something in particular. And one thing I want to point on before we go on to the next pat- the next thing is Paul talks about he is, he is pressing on. And really the idea of pressing on is that he's really he's working hard. He knows he's not yet arrived and so he is doing all that he can to get to the place that he should be. Even though it's difficult. The reality is Being what Jesus wants us to be is not going to be easy. It requires effort, intentional effort on our part. Think about any relationship you have. Who has a close relationship with someone that they're absent about? Who has a close relationship with someone that they don't put any effort into that relationship at all? I doubt any of us do. Relationships take effort to have a close, healthy relationship deep committed relationship our relationship with jesus is no different to be his friend takes effort on our part to be like jesus i don't know about you but i'm not already attained boy that's a that's an understatement in my life for me to be like jesus in love and compassion and mercy woo, those are huge things that need to change in my life that's going to take a lot of Effort on my part to be like Jesus. And to do your something in particular. It requires you to find it. requires you to start it. It requires you to learn how to do it. To learn how to do it better. To keep on working at it. We have to press on. We have to start and keep on keeping on. As long as we're trying to grow and become like Jesus. So we want to focus on what Jesus wants us to be. But secondly, to forget my past. Paul says in verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now, Paul often uses the imagery of a a runner running a race. And I was thinking about that. I've never been a fast runner, even when I was in the army and, and I ran for what I had to do to qualify. I was never overly good. I was. Passable at most things and so i'm sure there are a lot of people in here that could outrun me in a foot race However, I would say That if I got to set certain conditions beforehand I can promise you I could outrun everyone in here anyone in here, but here are the conditions at first We're going to run from the door to the Y. Secondly my opponent not me Has to look behind them the whole way they're running Here's why I know i'll win the race <laughs> That's a field out there that's got holes and loops and stuff and trees. And and all of it's just screaming, give me a knee to twist. Give me an ankle to break. And if you run looking behind you, you're bound to fail. You're bound to fall down and to hurt yourself. And running our spiritual race really isn't a whole lot different. We have a past behind us. If we're not careful, what we do is we get so focused on that that we don't look at where we're going. We don't look at what we're supposed to be doing or where we're supposed to be trying to get to. We we focus on the past. So what we have to do is do what Paul said. We have to forget our past. I think there are two aspects of our past that we have to forget. First, forget my failures. You know, Paul's list of failures... Were pretty epic, right? Paul denied that Jesus was the Christ. Paul persecuted the Church of Jesus Christ and tried to do all that he could to stamp out the name of Jesus Christ. In, in verses three through six, Paul lists a whole series of, of of things that he once placed his hope in instead of Jesus. These these credentials that made him feel self-righteous and better than others. Paul's list of failures is epic. And while our list of failures may be different than Paul's, there's a list. There are things in our past that can often hold us back. Through a series of circumstances, I have reconnected with some folks I went to high school with and was friends with in high school. And in one of my conversations, one guy told me, he said, I'm going to be honest with you. I found out you were a preacher. I was pretty surprised by the whole thing. Now, there are, there are things in my past that I don't want you to know. And I ain't ever going to tell you. And since we live seven hours away, you ain't ever going to find out. <laughs> but if I'm, if I'm not careful, I can let those things hold me back. I know what I was. I know what I did. But we have to forget the past, forget our failures, because I I love this. I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. Why do we beat ourselves up over sins that God has forgotten? That feeling that we feel, that condemnation about our past mistakes, that's never God. God does not bring up our past to beat us down. God does not bring up our past at all. Condemnation like that is from Satan. God has blotted it out. God has forgiven it. God has forgotten it. We need to forget it as well. Now you say, well, yeah, but we're not talking about things that were 20 years ago. We're talking about last week or yesterday. Oh, the Bible has an answer for that, too. The Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions is found out. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Well, that's good stuff right there. His compassions are made new every day. You failed yesterday. Guess what? Today is a brand new day. God's mercies are new today. You can't undo the past, but you can start out today, fresh slate, moving on, serving Christ. And if you bought it today, guess what? Tomorrow's a new day. Fresh slate, fresh mercy. Move on. You cannot let your past define who you are today. You can't let your past keep you from doing and being who Jesus wants you to be. Forget your past. Forget your failures. But not only forget your failures. You forget my victories. That sounds strange. Forget my victories. think what can happen. One of the things that will cause a plateau is focusing too much on the areas where we have made progress, on the victories that we've made. We begin to to rest complacently in them. And let me kind of give you an example. Who here... Now, raise your hand. Who here has seen Napoleon Dynamite? Raise your hand. Best movie ever, right? Amen. Amen. Now, the hero of our story... Is named Napoleon. And he has an uncle named Rico. And when we meet Uncle Rico. He is living in a van out in a field. Throwing a football over the top of a video camera. He gets a call. He goes to Napoleon and Kip's house. And he shows them the video. Which is just hours and hours of him. Throwing a football over the camera. And over the period of the show. We find out that in 82. Uncle Rico was kind of a football star. In 82, he, he could have led the team to the championship. Now, it's been a while since 82, but Uncle Rico's still living in his glory days. He's still living in what he was then, and he's never moved beyond that day. His, his past victories define who he is 20 years in the future. And I think something similar happens to us when we focus too much on our past victories. We, we become Uncle Rico Christians. We begin to, to talk about all that God did in our lives back then. All the times that He spoke to us through His Word. All the times that He answered prayers. All the times that He led us in our life. Well, well what's He doing in your life today? Well, we stutter and we stammer. And we talk about how good 82 was. That's what happens when we focus on our past. and we focus on our victories. We become complacent. Well, I've made a a lot of changes and I've grown a lot so I can I can slow down. I can hold off complacency. It leads to apathy. I'm okay where I'm at. Yeah, granted, I have not already attained and I've not perfected, but but I'm still better than others. So I'm okay where I am now. And that's a plateau because when we're in that place, we. We don't grow. We don't change. We don't move forward. We, we don't really do anything. And that is the very definition of a plateau. And in order to move past that, in order to keep that from happening, we must. We must. Move past it. We must forget our victories. We cannot rest on our past victories. We cannot live to what it was back then. Think about it like a, a football team. Or an, an athletic team of any sort. When football season starts. If it hasn't already. I'm not a sports fan. Whoever won the Super Bowl last year. It doesn't matter does it? Nobody cares. Nobody cares how they played last year. What do they care about? How they're going to play now. A team that rests in the past is not a team that's going to to do well. A Christian who rests in the past is not a Christian who's going to grow any. They're going to stagnate. They're going to plateau. If we want to to break a plateau, we're in if we want to prevent a plateau from happening. We have to forget our past. Forget our past failures, forget our past victories. Today is a new day. Today I'm moving out to be faithful in my service to Jesus. And then the final, we must faithfully persevere in spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is huge in Paul's eyes. In Paul's world, spiritual growth is super important. He's forgetting the past. He is going to faithfully press on in the goal of being what Jesus wants him to be. He knows that that requires change and that requires continual spiritual growth. He says in verse 14, I press toward the goal, the goal. He has an idea of what Jesus wants him to be. And he is going to do everything he can to to press toward that goal. Spiritual growth is, is hugely important in our Christian lives. It's not enough to pray the prayer and to be baptized. Salvation is the beginning of our who we are and what we're going to do as Christians from that moment on we are to to grow, to add to our faith. I love this particular passage. For this very reason, give all diligence to add to your faith virtue. The virtue knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot in that passage, but I only have time to point out two particular truths today. First, he said "To, to give all diligence to add to your faith, to give all diligence to some translations, make every effort. Others work really hard. It's the same idea as faithfully persevere in spiritual growth. Peter understands that it doesn't happen accidentally. We have to faithfully put forth the effort to add to our faith, our faith in Christ is the foundation From that moment on, we begin to add to our faith that we can be more and more like Jesus. second truth I want you to see is what happens when we've added to our faith. Those who have these and abound in these, they'll neither be unfruitful nor barren in their relationship with Jesus. Barren and unfruitful, doesn't that sound like a plateau? You're not being what God wants you to be. You're not doing what God wants you to do. You're kind of standing still and not accomplishing what needs to be accomplished in your life. How do we keep From being barren and unfruitful in our relationship with Jesus, we give all diligence to add to our faith. How do we go about doing that? How do we add to our faith? Paul gives us a couple of ways in this passage. One is consistently follow the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 15, therefore, as many of us as are mature, have this mind. Right. So. Those who are mature, make maturity a point. And if you're a mature Christian, you'll understand what I'm saying is right. But, if in anything you think otherwise, right, if you say this and say, I don't think that's right, then here's what you need to do. God will reveal this to you. That's what he's telling him. What I'm saying is right. And the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you if you seek it out. Part of what we have to do, Listen to the Holy Spirit as he guides us in our life, our our relationship with God is a a living relationship. He he deals with us in our lives, shows us things in our lives that that need to be changed. He works through the the spirit of God, works through the word of God. Hebrews four is such a great passage. Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two edged sword. Piercing even the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrows, discern of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Right? God sees all that we do. He sees all that we are, all that we think, all that we say. He sees all, all of our lives, our desires, everything. Even the stuff we don't tell or say out loud, God sees. Because God sees all of those things, he is able to work through his spirit and the word of God to, to cut us where we need to cut. To take the word and say This needs to be changed. You need to stop doing this and start doing this. You need to start doing this and stop doing this. Able to deal with us the way that we need to be dealt with. That is what God does as a part of helping us become like Jesus. Our part in this is to always follow the Holy Spirit. Right? Three things that work in our lives to help us be more like Jesus the Spirit of God, the Word of God, Our decision of faith. Spirit of God takes the word of God, shows us an area of our life that needs to be changed. An area of our life that God says, fix this, do this, change this. Our job at that point is to make the necessary change. When I make the necessary change, I become more like Jesus. I grow spiritually. I make progress. When I do not listen to the Holy Spirit and I do not do what he is leading me to do, I stagnate. I plateau. You cannot ignore the spirits leading in your life and have a thriving relationship with Christ at the same time. Spirit is always moving us to follow Jesus, to be like Jesus, to do what Jesus would have us to do. And when we resist, we're saying, "I don't want to be like Jesus. I don't want to follow Jesus. I don't want to do what Jesus would have me to do." Now, wrong, a misconception that we often have about this is that we think this means we're bad. When the Holy Spirit begins to deal in our hearts and convict us, our mindset often becomes, well, I'm not a very good Christian, obviously, or God would not be dealing with me in the way that he is. But that is a terrible misconception. What it means when God deals with us like this is that he has better for our lives than we're currently experiencing. Any time God begins to show us things in our life that are wrong, it's not God saying you're terrible at being a Christian. It's God saying there's something better I have for you than what you're currently experiencing. There's something better I, I want to do in you than what you're currently experiencing. Let me show you this. Flip back to Philippians 2. And look at verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have... Always obeyed. Now, as in my presence, or not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Right? And what he's saying is, when I was there, you did what, what I said. I told you, here's what God said, and you did it. But now I'm gone, and now you have to work out your own salvation. You have to listen to the Holy Spirit, and you have to make the changes. You have to, to work it out on your own, with fear and trembling, because... <laughs> I mean, when the Holy Spirit deals with us about something, right, that's not that's not someone offering a suggestion. Right, that is not a self-help guru saying this will make your life more fulfilled. This is God speaking to us through his word. That's a pretty awesome thought. There ought to be fear and trembling as we work out what God would have us to do, because it is God at work in our lives. But the great thing is in verse 12, uh, verse 13. For God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. The idea that God is working in us to will is that God is giving us a desire to do His will. God is at work in us and that desire that we have to change, that that thought we have that we need to lay this aside, to pick this up, to go and do this. That is God saying, I have something better for you. But the great thing about God is that if He calls us to do it, He empowers us to do it. He not only gives us the will to do it, but He gives us the to-do, the power to make that change. Now, there's good and bad, maybe, with this. The good. I can always do anything God wants me to do. If God wants me to lay something aside and to pick something else up, I can do it. Without fail, without exception, I can. The bad, the hard, that means if I'm not doing it, it's just because of my decision of faith. I'm choosing not to do the will of God. If I want to keep from plateauing, to break a plateau, I have to faithfully persevere spiritual growth. And that requires me to always follow the Holy Spirit. That means any time the Holy Spirit deals with me about something that needs to be done in my life, my response should be, yes, Lord. An immediate change to do what He wants me to do. Secondly, keep doing what you know to do. Keep doing what you know to do. Many people are, are familiar with the United States Army Rangers. For those that haven't, the Army Rangers are a group of elite infantry soldiers, and they're the caliber of special forces or Navy SEALs. Unless my history is off, they are the first special forces in the United States history. During the French and Indian War, a man named Robert Rogers organized the first Ranger unit. And in those days, they didn't have sophisticated communication systems that our soldiers have today. They had runners to take information and orders back and forth to different units to keep the units on track and doing what they needed to do. Robert Rogers came up with a series of orders called Robert's Standing Orders, and they were the things That every ranger was supposed to do no matter what. In the absence of any other orders, do these. And the orders included things like keep your hatchet sharp, your musket clean, and your pack packed. That way you can be ready to march in a moment's notice. Every ranger in the unit was to be awake and pulling guard at sunset and sunrise. Because, as Robert says, that's when the French and the Indians attack. And since these were standing orders... Rangers never had to question whether or not they were supposed to do them. If they didn't have any orders from their leaders and their commanders, if they were to continue to do the standing orders, everything would be fine. They would still fulfill their ranger mission. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have standing orders as well. Paul explains this a little bit in verse 16. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Here's what he's saying. What you've been doing right, keep doing it. What you know to be right, what you know to be true, keep doing it. For us, as believers in Jesus Christ, our standing orders are contained in Scripture. If scripture says, Thou shalt not, then we don't ever have to ask a question. We shall not. That is a standing order for all time. If Scripture says, Thou shalt, then we don't have to question. We shall. That's what we are supposed to do. Because there are going to be times in our life when we are trying to move forward. We're, we're trying to make progress, but there's nothing particular that God is dealing with us about. To the best of our knowledge, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. There's nothing new that God is working with us about. There's nothing going on. So what do we do in that time? We keep doing what we know to do. We know what it takes To have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We keep doing those things. We know we're supposed to to do the things the Bible says thou shalt do. So we keep doing those. We know we're to avoid the things the Bible says thou shalt not do. So we keep avoiding those. And if we keep doing what we know we're supposed to do, eventually new orders will come. Everything will work out. We'll never go wrong. By following what the Bible says to do. We'll never go wrong by just doing what we know is right. When I was preparing to come out here, Kelly and I were praying to come out here. The day we were loading up and getting ready to leave, my pastor called me off to the side. And he said, Stacey, there's going to be times in the future where you don't know what to do. There's going to be times where you think you're doing everything right and it's still not working the way you think it ought to. And you're going to pray and it's just not going to seem like things are working. And in those times, here's what you do. You keep doing what you know you're supposed to do. You know you're supposed to pray. You know you're supposed to read the Bible. You know you're supposed to lead your family. You know you're supposed to preach the Word. When you don't know what else to do, you keep doing what you know to do, and everything will work its way out. You know, I I spent a lot of money at Bible college. Nothing they taught me was any more profound than what my pastor told me under a tree in our front yard. The most helpful information I've learned... In serving Christ was just keep doing what I know that I'm supposed to do. That has helped me through more funks. Helped me break more plateaus. Helped me overcome more things than anything I learned at Bible college. And it was free. Keep doing what you know to do. You'll never go wrong by doing the things that you know you're supposed to do. And that's really anything about it. That's just obedience. Obedience is a key to spiritual growth. I can't become more like Jesus by not doing what Jesus wants me to do. So keep doing what you know you're supposed to do faithfully, persevere, spiritual growth. It won't be easy, and it won't be fancy, but it is right. It is effective. It will break the plateau, it will prevent the plateau. Keep on keeping on. Let's stand as our musicians.